Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the United District Podcast. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Mazala 8, Jack, or Mazala 8 as, as many of you will know him, uh, football analyst, Manchester United and Syria enthusiast. Jack, welcome to the podcast, mate. Oh, thanks for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Looking forward to picking your brains a bit about, about Manchester United so far this season and, and beyond that as well because we've got some other brilliant talking points that people have brought up on Twitter. So, yeah, we'll get into things straight away. Um, I think the main po- sort of focus of the podcast is going to be a sort of mid-season review, really, because I think we're at a sort of a good point now to talk about sort of what's gone on. And obviously, in the past week or so, we've had a bit of a change in mood slightly with United's results. But I thought I thought I'd ask you um, just quickly in general what you thought of United's season so far, because it's been a, it's been an extremely interesting, and largely successful campaign so far. So yeah, just my first question really is what you've what you've sort of made of United so far this season. Uh, yeah, I'd probably go for surprising. Well, surprisingly good if you base it purely on results. Mm. When it comes to performances, I'm less sure. Mm. It's. I feel the decline was inevitable. Obviously, I'm a fan, so I got a little bit hopeful for the title race. Deluded myself a bit into thinking it was maybe possible. Mm. But I think the loss against Sheffield's kind of grown back to reality because before that, we were relying on well, a Pogba long shots. We did probably have a few of them, you know, backed up from the previous seasons. But yeah. Yeah, it was, I think, against Fulham and Burnley. We needed him to you know, do something which you can't rely on on a regular basis. Hmm. But So I'm half, I think top four is my expectation coming into the season. And I feel more confident that we'll get that now in contrast to the start of the season. So that's a positive. And I'd say the thing I've liked most this season in general for staying positive is, well, Luke Shaw's like, renaissance. Hmm. It's... He's been really good at making underlapping runs and just the left side dynamic in general. But a wide player usually sits wide. If it's, Rash- it's typically Rashford, then he'll play a ball through. Luke Shaw will get on the end to it. And even then, you have Matic dropping back into the back three as well. Quite often, Fred's been doing mm. it more frequently. And yeah, the left side in general's worked fantastically. The right side, not so much. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's very fair to say. I mean, that's been a massive problem for us. I think for a very long time, sort of the lopsided, uh, the lopsided sort of nature of of us going forward, and even sort of you know, I would say in a defensive sense. But since Aaron Wan-Bissaka's coming, obviously down that right, we've been pretty solid defensively. It's been the problem going forward. Um, I'm just wondering what you think is a sort of remedy of that. Do you think that's a coaching problem, or or as many believe, do you think that is a simple personnel issue in that we need to go and sign a right winger, and, and obviously that name. James Sancho is one that's mentioned a lot. Do you think more could be done with coaching in regards to that right-hand side, or do you think you know it could be solved with a transfer? Um, I think a transfer would be the easiest solution, yeah. Mm. It's even with Wan-Bissaka, recently in possession, you've been seeing... I don't think he's that bad in the final third. He yeah. isn't perfect, but I'd say his issues lie more in deep possession when it comes to receiving and moving the ball quickly. Because mm. I'd say one of my primary issues this season has been our build-up and the lack of emphasis we place on centrality from goal kicks. Because mm. the short goal kick routine is usually De Gea to a centre-back to a full-back. And let's just say 50% of the time, that full-back will be Juan Bissaka. Yeah. And if we play it out wide, it's quite easy to constrain us out wide, especially if he dwells on the ball because the touchline has a constraining effect. And this kind of comes into personnel as well because we're quite reticent to use De Gea in possession. Which I think is understandable, because he isn't the best. And when we use Dean Henderson against Sheffield United, it kind of it costs us a goal essentially. Mm. So again, you're limited in what you can do in coaching to an extent by the players you have. So I don't think there's any way you can make Wan Bissaka receive the ball better overnight. So I'd I'd say the primary issue is in attack, yeah. Or yeah. With, when we switch it, because obviously if we overload the left flank, the opponent's going to shuttle across, be compact, which creates space for a switch if we're able to execute it. And we've got players who drift left who are good at executing that pass, like Bruno Pogba or Rashford. However, yeah, it's the reception which is the issue. Mm. It's we create the space, it's we just don't take advantage of it on the right side. Yeah. Going back to sort of Juan Pasaka, I think, you know, just to talk about him for a minute, it's quite interesting because I think he's quite... Um, Oh, I don't want to say divisive because I don't think there's anything sort of divisive about him himself. Obviously, he's a very sort of, you know, he's not a very outspoken player and he sort of goes on the radar a lot, but he's a player that does divide opinion when it comes to sort of whether or not he's the right man 
to Leeds United forward. And I'm a massive fan of Wamba Saka. I think, you know, defensively, he's absolutely phenomenal. One of the best players, it sounds like an exaggeration, but genuinely one of the best players I've ever seen one-on-one. Um, you know, against against top, top wingers, you know, against PSG this season was a, was a great example of him putting in a great performance. Do you think um, it would help him? Do, do you think he is capable of me being Manchester United starting right back? Because for me, I think he is. I think once you sign a, pr- a proper right winger, you know, a Jane Sancho or someone of the like down that right-hand side, then, then we're going to see less emphasis on him going forward and as such, you know, you get a bit of a balance with Shaw on the left as well, who, who's making sort of, as you say, the underlapping or overlapping um, runs. Do, do you think a right winger would, would help Wan-Bissaka in that sense? Um, I'm, it would help him definitely, but I'm less sure about his long-term future than you. I right. agree 100% that he's fantastic one-on-one. I don't think anyone has any, well, issues there. Mm. Everyone agrees that he's, his tactical technique's superb, even in how he times it, but it's how useful they actually are, if you're my United, because yeah. How frequently they become up against a PSG or a Man City or a Liverpool is the question in contr- contrast to, I don't know, a Fulham or a Burnley. And I feel he limits you significantly against those clubs, especially if you want a winger who cuts inside, mm-hmm. which is well beneficial for a lot. We've seen recently with Rashford how limiting it can be if he doesn't have the ability to cut inside because he goes inside in a congested area and he just isn't able to shoot, essentially. He's always trying to awkwardly switch back, but then you're moving to the positions that the opponent want you to. The opponent want to force you out wide in those positions. So I would say it's definitely workable. He isn't going to stop you, but if we had the freedom to improve, or even if we had a bit of differentiation, mm. so I think like if we talk about like a double pivot setup this year when we have Matic Pogba as like a two yeah. and Fred McTominay as a two. I think they're both really good in specialist occasions. I don't think we have any issue there, particularly. Mm. In that match, Pogba are both superb on the ball and can distribute quickly and well, frequently. So you have them against the smaller sides, then you have McTominay, Fred, against the bigger sides where you need people to be a bit more intense in transition and be able to recover the ball and recover from their positional commitments. Yeah, yeah, no... So, I, maybe a Wambasaka compliment rather than a Wambasaka replacement, mm. but how happy they, it's difficult to build that dynamic. I think we've got lucky this season in that Pogba was maybe close to leaving, mm. so would accept a reduced role. And oh yeah, it's difficult to know what's going on there. But I think we fostered a good dynamic there, and if that was possible on the right, that would be ideal. Yeah, I completely get where you're coming from. I'm just, I'm just sort of wondering what kind of profile I assume you're sort of ebbing towards a more attacking sort of what we suggest as a as a more traditional Manchester United fullback in sort of getting up and down the pitch a bit better is that the sort of profile you'd like to see as a, as a as you say a, a one but sack a compliment yeah it's difficult to find a balance there because you don't want someone overly attacking like let's just take like Akira Fakimi from mm. Inter I think well, you limit him if you don't play him as a wing back essentially yep. so you don't want someone who's constantly looking to bomb beyond the last lane of a defence, unless you're planning on playing a back five. But I think, yeah, someone who, who's just a solid all-rounder, essentially, rather than someone who's a specialist attacker. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. And I think, you know, Wan-Bissaka does fall into that in, in a defensive sense, doesn't he, as a sort of, as a specialist. So, yeah, I think you're probably right in that, yeah, someone a bit more well-rounded would be an excellent sort of compliment for him. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair suggestion. Um Moving on to sort of the managerial side of things, just going to ask you sort of another quite general question about sort of what you made of Solskjaer's management this season. Sort of in the last couple of weeks, he's come under some sort of fire again with it with a couple of negative results. Um, in my opinion, it, it quite harsh the criticism considering everything. You know, I know you said perhaps with the performances over the season, it's not too much of a surprise that we've now started sort of dropping a couple of points here and there. But I still think it's quite harsh. What have you made of Solskjaer's uh, approach and sort of overall management this season? Um, when it comes to Solskjaer, I think he has a really good understanding of how to balance the team. That would be my the biggest praise I could put on. Mm. We always like we always look like we're prepared for how the game state is going to be. We very rarely overcommit to attacks. I think well, the had the Istanbul with Bejek here, the corner, which was just a freak incident. Yeah. But other than that, we typically well we allocate the players well in how we seek to attack the space, I'd say. We very rarely get caught out in defensive transition or anything. A lot of... Well, especially last season, Well, I think we had a better defensive record, but I think that's because we were more cautious in 
how we set up initially because we didn't trust our defenders. Because mm. whereas now we're conceding more, but we're able to commit more resources to attack because well, Maguire has had an excellent season. Shaw's playing really well, and that I'd say defenders, good defenders are the best two you can have to allow you to attack. Would be, and I think Maguire and Shaw came on massively this season, which mm. has allowed that. On Solskjaer in general, I'd still say we're characterised by being really good at attacking space, but not good at creating it. Yeah. At least, at least through possession, which limits the extent we can kind of control a game because we're reliant on the opponent overexposing themselves to catch them out mm. in transition. Because there's this like misconception where you conflate like attack and transitions and counter attacks. I would say they're both kind of the same thing. It's it's how much space is exposed when you have the ball and are attacking. It's the game state that matters rather than how you create it. Like if you think of like a Josie Mourinho team, mm. they seek to use defence as their means to attack through baiting the opponent forward. Yeah. And it fundamentally works under like the same principle as like a positional play team in that they want to move the opponent, not the ball. It's just to use different means. So I'd say we're still not that good at using the ball to create transitional states. Mm. And that's an issue because I think you need a bit of systematization to create well in predictable moments in games, which happen a lot when you're facing teams which sit deeper because they're happy with the game state in nil nil. I think you need to systematize more to catch them out. Mm. So I'd say we need we've again we've done that a bit. I mentioned the Matic dropping back in a back three, then Maguire pushing on, then passing it to Rashford, Shaw and lapping. So we have elements. We're introducing it. Yeah, yeah. But I'd say we're still sometimes a bit. Well, it's just we struggled to break through the first line. Like Sheffield United, the recent game, mm. they were really good at staying compact through the lines. And as soon as, well, the long ball was cut off because their their defensive line was pushing up quite well. So as soon as that was cut off, we looked idealist. Mm. We just weren't able to progress to the centre because we didn't have Bruno was dropping deep a lot, but it was all. The players haven't made decisions like Bruno deciding to drop deep and hoping for the best, but then that space is vacated and people don't know where to move. So I'd say we need more preparation around predictable moments. But overall, I'm happier with Solskjaer now than I was at the start of the season. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's fair to say. I think that reflects a lot of the people. I think it re- reflects mine as well. You know, there were doubts for me. I said always when he sort of when he finished third last season, I said, you know what, you know, he deserves another season here, and you know, obviously. The results, at least in the sort of past few months leading up to this sort of blip in form, was was basically flawless. So I struggled to find problems with that. Just going back to what you said a little while ago, was sort of um, a reliance on overexposure, perhaps you know, and, and waiting for sort of teams to open up and, and trying to sort of um, punish them in that sense. You know, obviously, there's been a bit of a problem this season in in the big in the big six games. I don't know the exact stats; I don't have them here, but I don't think we've actually won a game. Against the big six in the Premier League this season, um, I'm just wondering whether you think sort of an improvement in personnel and perhaps this bit more, you know, quality and confidence this season has perhaps made us struggle in the big games. Because last season, I think we sort of went into them with an underdog approach, and it sort of allowed for us, to, well, it allowed for other teams to sort of open themselves up a bit and us to sort of catch them on the break a bit more. Do you, would you say that's a fair assessment? Do you think you know the increase in overall quality, especially at the smaller size this season? has sort of um, been a detriment to our big game sort of performances and results? Um, to an extent, yeah. I'd say big teams are more risk-averse against us now. They're more aware of yeah. the threat we have on the count, especially like Chelsea. The Chelsea game, the 0-0. Mm. Like that, like if you contrast that to the 4-0 at the opening of the previous season, just like the they played a back three for one, and mm. they just placed a lot more emphasis on the defensive aspect of the game. So I think teams are more cautious around giving us space because maybe that won't be the case now with Tuchel at Chelsea. But if you think of Arteta and Josie, they are both managers who will at least seek to nullify to an extent what we're trying to do and won't leave themselves overly exposed. On the case of Liverpool and City, it's more because I think we've been competitive in both Liverpool games and we've done all right against City, but Mm. they are much better than they were last season comparatively, so it's difficult to compare how much of that is just them improving in contrast. But the Leipzig game, I think, demonstrated the 5-0. Yeah. 
that we are still capable of like tearing a team apart if they do expose themselves far too much. Yeah, because in that game they they pushed for it like about one 0 down at the seventieth minute, and then because it wasn't really a five 0 game, it was a game that happened then five 0 because they well, threw caution to the wind in the last ten fifteen minutes. Hmm. Do you think um, players like well specifically Dan James, who's been significantly you know used a lot less this season than he was last season, um, perhaps because of the emergence of players like Mason Greenwood. Do you think we've missed a sort of um, an outlet such as Dan James in those bigger games? Uh, yeah, to an extent, yeah. I, I've i always liked Dan James in bigger games. So yeah. especially even when it comes to like pressing and stuff, he, he can do it really intensely and he obviously catches people out with how quickly he accelerates. Hmm. But yeah, it's Martial hasn't been as good this season as well which has hurt it's difficult to explain why that is but he's obviously a regular starter and not having someone like having someone who's not playing that well in there isn't the best so yeah i would like to see dan james play more often against big teams in comparison to someone like greenwood because greenwood's quite a peripheral figure Mm. like if he isn't scoring goals he isn't contributing much to the overall team and it's all fine and good when he's scoring goals because obviously it's the single biggest way to impact the game. But when that stops happening, it's you can see how big a detriment he is to the side overall. Mm. No, I could completely agree with that. And that's something I've actually spoken about on Twitter um, for, for quite a few weeks now. Is you know It's not as much criticism of Mason Greenwood. Of course, he's still a young player. It's still a long time for him to be sort of moulded into, you know, he could, he could become anything. We know how naturally talented he is and how brilliant he is as a finisher. But when you sort of compare him to Phil Foden, who I think it's a year his, his senior... Um, Phil Foden, when he plays in a city side, looks like he's sort of part of a system and, and part of an overall sort of cog in a, in a bigger machine. Whereas Greenwood, I think, you know, as you say, when he's scoring goals, it's fantastic. But at times, it looks like he's almost just like a a young, inexperienced player, player thrown into a into a team. So yeah, I completely sort of understand where, where you're coming from with that. Um, I was trying to ask you, you mentioned Martial. You know, he's been a big talking point as of recent, um, and obviously our. our I don't want to call it a problem, but more so a conundrum at sort of number nine. It's been something that's sort of dominated conversation lately. What do you think about uh, sort of our starting number nine going forward? Do you think Edinson Cavani should be the starting number nine? As of now, obviously, form can change things. And Cavani's coming off the back of, at time of recording, um, at quite a, a poor sort of miss... Well, I don't want to say a poor performance, because I actually thought it was good, but it was a, a misfiring performance against Arsenal. So it was, what do you think about our number nine situation? And, and do you think it should change on a game-to-game basis dependent on the sort of conditions? Um, I would say Cavani should be the starting striker provided he's fit. Mm. It's, yeah. he, he stretches the opponent vertically a lot more, which creates space for someone like Bruno to occupy. Marshall, he has a tendency, he wants to drop deep, he's very rarely looking to break the last line of a defence, running yeah. behind, get onto a cross early, whereas Cavani's constantly prowling, looking for the opportunity. So I think chance conversion is really quite overrated when it comes to evaluating a striker. Mm. I much prefer just them being able to get chances on a regular basis. Because someone like Cavani, you don't get to his level unless you're a somewhat good finisher. But his biggest attribute is just how good he is at finding space. And he isn't bad at dropping deep or anything either. He just, I think he times it better. He just seems a more intelligent player than Martial in the way he plays. You can tell he's more experienced. Because Martial's still a bit predictable. And mm. like he's, he's like, Marshall's a really good intuitive player. He's good when there's tight space. Same with Greenwood, actually. It's good when there's tight space and there's limited options and they need to just almost use their ability and they don't have the time to think about it. They don't have the time. Like, when Greenwood has time to think, he does a couple step overs, cuts and sides, and shoots. Mm. It's Whereas when he's under pressure, he might feel a greater degree of pressure to try and cut it back. And Cavani seems a good influence on people like Greenwood and Martial as well because he's actively complaining at them yeah. when, they don't, when they don't look up and things like that. And he has the sort of reputation and prestige that they should at least listen. Whereas someone like Rashford, you would say, is their equal. Where Cavani's quite clearly above them in the hierarchy, so should command a bit more respect. Mm, no, I, I think he's a good influence, pers- like a personality, and he's a profile of striker we need as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree, and I think people, you know, most people who are listening, I'm sure, sort of see, see my opinions on Twitter and are aware of how big a fan I am of 
Edinson Cavani, I think you make a good point about his just his, his sort of stature in the game, being a sort of model professional and being part of that squad. And I think one of the best sort of free transfers we've we've picked up in, in quite a long time, to be honest. So, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with where, where you're sort of coming from on that. Now, we'll move on to some questions on Twitter. Um, we've had so many great questions, so thank you for everyone who, who got those in. Um, and thank you, Jack, for sort of having the status to, to sort of provide these good questions as well. The <laughs> um, first one's from United Central, I want to ask you, who, who asks whether... Um, whether or not Locatelli would be a good Matic replacement and whether or not he'd suit our style. Obviously, this is something that we've talked about for a long time in regards to a Matic replacement. I've always sort of earmarked Declan Rice as the man I'd like. And just to answer his question, George's question, do you think Locatelli would be a good Matic replacement? Well, when I try and describe Locatelli, Matic is my usual go-to player. I'd say there's a lot of similarities in how they play mm. in that they both aren't particularly quick and can get caught out in defensive transition once they're initially beaten. But I think because of how visible that is, it's perhaps overestimated. Like it's They're good at intercepting the chance beforehand, but it's more his passing style that I'd say similar to Matic. Mm. In that he, he has a good perception of when to play it short and when to play it long, because most of his job at Sassuolo is just short recycling and circulating, waiting for the opportunity to break. But because of the way they play, I'd maybe be sceptical of his passing numbers to an extent because they keep two wingers really wide at all times who can act as outlets for possession. So that provides an avenue to switch, should it be necessary, at almost all times. Mm. But he plays a really crucial role, and I think he could do the dropping... In, well, he does the dropping into the back two at Sassuolo as well and timing it correctly in that understanding if he's facing like a front two pressing him or just a front one, and whether to position himself. And he's good at opening up avenues for the fullback to pass it to. It's difficult to under- to kind of decide how much of that is his individual decision-making and how much of it is uh, Roberto De Zerbi's system. Mm. So it's it's always being a bit cautious, but he's at least he's shown the technical proficiency that he's capable of playing in a heavily possession-based side, which comes under a lot of pressure and he's good at breaking the lines when necessary when going short when it, it's his overall decision making is quite similar to Matic in that you kind of want a defensive midfielder to be risk averse because mm. you, you want to establish some sort of control and he's the main figure to do it but he doesn't have he isn't like someone like Hoybier who doesn't really take any risks in possession again it's difficult to understand how much of that's systemic and how much of that's individual hmm but it's finding a balance, and I think you are better being on the risk-averse side of that balance. But yeah, he's fantastic on the ball, and I think would be if we're looking for someone similar to Matic, would be my ideal replacement. Yeah, I was I was just literally about to ask you that whether or not he's he's the ideal one, but you've you've uh, sort of answered it there. So, that, so there you go. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. It's, um, you know, I I'm not a massive watcher of Syria, so it's, it's interesting to sort of get an opinion on on a player like that. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. And we'll move to the next question uh, from Sean Baywood, who asks, uh, "Do you think the midfield diamond could be successfully implemented at United?" Um, not really. No, I don't think we have. Well, I'd say a midfield diamond. The most important players are the defenders because mm. the centre backs have to cover a lot of space if two fullbacks are having to push forward simultaneously. So you need to be able to sustain pressure well to get off with it. And the cent- I don't think we have the centre-backs designed to cover large areas of space frequently. I think you need like world-class centre-backs like, like Sergio Ramos, Rafael Varane. They're the type of centre-backs who can cover the space necessary and time the aggression mm. to do that. And obviously, with the full-backs become quite isolated and become constra- constrained quite easily because of how compact the system is. I'd say defensively, We've played. I think we can play in a couple. We can play in big games because there's a greater emphasis on being defensively compact. So mm-hmm. the, the structure there allows you to shuttle and provide support. <coughs> and but it's because of the central focus. You're going to push the opponent out wide, which is a positive when you're defending. But equally, yeah. when that's happening in possession and the options we have are Wambasak and Luke Shaw. It doesn't work too well. Someone like Pogba suited to the system on the left hand side, but again, it's the right hand side who it's 
I think it's still we don't have the players necessary. For, I'm not the biggest fan of the system in general because of the reliance it puts on the wing backs and the centre backs to cover space. I think if you're going to try something like that, you're better using three centre backs. Yeah, they can act as auxiliary fullbacks in possession if need be to provide support for a pass, and they obviously help cover the space defensively. Yeah. No, that's that's fair enough. And just going off on a bit of a tangent, you say that the sort of you know in that sort of system, the reliance on the centre backs would, would be a bit of a problem for us. Um, just going off onto a bit of a different different place with this. What do you think about our centre back pairing in general? What what's the problem with it? Because I think there's always with the United fan base, it always becomes a bit a bit of an echo chamber sort of caused in that we all get sort of told that we need something and we all get stuck on that. And that thing that we've been told about is sort of a left-footed centre-back and that has become sort of a big sort of staple in, I think, a lot of fans thinking when we're talking about um, sort of centre-halves in, in general across Europe. Do you think that is the problem? Do you think, you know, a left-footed centre-back would sort of cause problems and sort of um, allow Harry Maguire to perform it better in a sort of partnership? Do, do you think that is what we need? A left-footed centre-back's a nice luxury to have, is what I'd say. Right. It's It definitely helps your side in possession. But I would still prioritise the actual quality of the centre-back over mm. what foot... The, in, a, in a back three, it's a bit different, because you need them to attack a bit more often. So I'd, But generally, I'd say we should prioritise getting the best centre-back available, left-footed or right-footed. But obviously, left being left-footed contributes to how good you perceive them to be within the context of your system. I would say it's an additional benefit because it would help us play out of defence. But even then, I think systemically, that would be the issues still there, playing out of defence in that we're constrained at the fullback. And I don't think having a, a nicer passing angle to execute that pass would help particularly. Yeah. So especially when we have Matic and Fred, who frequently drop in, it it was it's a nice luxury, but I wouldn't say it's a priority. Right, yeah, that's fair enough. I think that's good to clear that up because I think you know that is something that a lot of United fans are sort of constantly talking about. Um, so, so thank you for that. Um, moving on to another question from Nad, who asks, um, "Do you see Fabian Ruiz being the perfect pivot player for United under Solskjaer?" Um, I, I'm unsure if I'd say perfect. I do like Fabian Ruiz. It depends on. Pogba's future really because I think as, lo- as long as we have Pogba we can't justify a player like Fabian who's more offensively minded he'd probably be the second most attacking of the double pivot like he's not a holding midfielder Yeah. so I think as long as we have Pogba no but as a Pogba replacement I wouldn't mind Fabian Ruiz no <laughs> fair enough um, Yuse asks uh, sort of going back to Solskjaer for a moment here um, do you think sticking with Ole is, is uh, do you think sticking with Ole for the next few years is the right decision? If not, which manager would you bring in? Which is, I think, always such a tough question to answer yeah. with with regards uh, to managers. Yeah, um, long term, I don't think I have the fa- I don't have faith in Solskjaer to provide the Premier League title. No, mm. is what I'd say. So, I think eventually we'll have to move on. Again, he's done an okay job this season. I'm still a bit skeptical of the performances, but. Overall, I don't think he's done anything justify like we could justify sacking him at least. But yeah. I do think there's a bit too much for a reticence to sack to an extent in that if you feel like you're not going to progress with the manager, is there any point sticking on? Because we had that with Jose Mourinho when he finished second. Like just undoubtedly a really good season when you consider the quality of squad we had. Mm-hmm. But things turned sour and it was quite evident we were never going to progress with him. So I think we maybe should have sacked him in the summer there, despite his good performance the previous season. And the same can be said for Solskjaer if a better manager appears. So I think if the opportunity strikes, yeah. As for names, Conti was someone I really wanted when Josie went. That was mm. He was my ideal, but that's because I felt we had a squad that was suited to playing his style of football, which I think at least been substantiated to an extent by... Alexis, Lukaku, Young, <laughs> and stuff all moving over to Inter. Yeah, yeah. So, Conte was my ideal there. I'd quite like Allegri if we're going to push for a title. I think he'd be, because of, well, he's, he's not one of like the highly systematic managers I've been speaking about when it comes to 
playing it from build up like mm. say Conte. He isn't a traditional Italian manager in that regard. He's sim- more similar to someone like Solskjaer and Mourinho in how they set up in possession fundamentally. But I think he, he'd be the guy that I'd hire to take to the next step. Yeah. Mm. Just to sort of dig a bit deeper, I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not questioning this. I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate to an extent. Why don't you think Solskjaer sort of could be the man to lead us to titles? You know, I, I was a massive critic of his, and you know, I, I always said, you know. I pointed back to his CV and people said he deserves time. I said, why does he sort of deserve time when you look back at, at what he's done? You know, he's achieved nothing. But now he's sort of, he's finished third with this side. And I say this side, it actually wasn't this side. You know, it was it was of lesser quality um, last season than it was now. Obviously, we've had some some decent additions. You know, Cavani, one of them. Um, this season, we've, we've mounted, I want to say, an unexpected title charge. Obviously, we'll see in the coming months, you know, what that comes to because... You know, we're still only, you know, I think a point off top, aren't we, with four if City win their game in hand. What sort of is it that points towards Solskjaer not being the man sort of going forward for you? Um, we don't we don't have a, almost a systemic method of chance creation, which I think hurts us. Like if you look at City, mm. especially now, you're very rarely in any doubt that they're in control of the game and that they're gonna win. And I just don't think we have the capacity to compete with them with Solskjaer so long as City have Pep or a man... Well, you're not going to get a manager of Pep's quality, but a manager of similar quality who does similar things. Like We've very rarely went on a consistent run of form. Under, well, we've went on... I'd say we've maybe been too patchy, is the point I'm trying to articulate here, mm. under Solskjaer. We've been... like Even if you think of his first season here, we went on the terrific run when he initially took over and then completely collapsed when top four looked possible. Mm. And even the good run we're on now, I question the sustainability of it because we are just edging games and it's not entirely convincing. So I'd say I've never really been convinced when we're on a good run that we are some unstoppable team. Whereas if you see someone like City or Liverpool when they go on good runs they look unstoppable. Yeah, no, I, I completely appreciate that. And I think, you know, that that's true, to, you know, in, in every sense of the word. No, I don't think that's anything sort of debatable. You know, City are, when they're at their best, are an unbelievable side. We all know that. We've seen it over the years. And since they've sort of sorted themselves out this season, obviously they've looked, you know, absolutely fantastic. Just coming back to United, though, with regards to sort of not looking unstoppable, do you, do you think that is purely down Sol Shark. I think a lot of people would point towards it being a personnel problem. I mean, we have got, you know, I know there's always managers that do things with sort of lesser resources, but it looks as if there's players out there that are error prone and will sort of cause cause problems no matter what manager they're under. Would you would you agree with that? Or do you think to an extent, you know, Solskjaer's coaching with regards to sort of knocking it, I don't want to say knocking it out of players, but but making players less error-prone, if you know what I mean by that. Is that down Solskjaer, or would you say it's, it's, it is the personnel? Yeah, it, personnel is the most important aspect. In I'd say the, the manager is the, typically the most important individual, unless you're dealing with like Messi or Ronaldo or Neymar. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, the manager is the most important single individual who has an influence on the team, but obviously in a team you have 11 individuals on the pitch, and they can influence it more as like an aggregate, any well more than the manager, essentially. So if we got something like Holland and Sancho in the summer, which mm. is unlikely, I would change my mind and think, oh, we can probably, we should be challenging for a title under Solskjaer. I'd be confident. So yeah, I think a change in personnel would definitely change circumstances. But a manager is supposed to be there to elevate the quality of your squad above the sort of, well, above what they should be or above relative expectations it's the way we're playing on the social is i think we perform similarly to our squad because of the lack of systemic means of chance creation it's we probably have a top quality a top four quality squad currently and we'll finish top four accordingly and i trust social because of what i mentioned earlier about kind of his perception of risk to generate expected results so if we have a team capable where the expectation is a title challenge i'd mm. say 
Solskjaer wouldn't be an issue necessarily, but even then I'd rather someone like Allegri. That's interesting though, because do you think then, you obviously don't believe that this squad on the face of it is is capable of of winning a title. I think many would argue that you know, Solskjaer's doing everything he can in, in that sense. You know, we're currently sat second in the table, as I say, you know, likely to be about, about four points off the top. Are you sort of suggesting that you think if there was another manager, say someone like Allegri or Conte, do you think they'd be able to do more than what Solskjaer's currently doing um, with this squad? Because I know you can say about sort of the performances, etc., and, you, and you've sort of found a bit of a, a bit of a problem with the, with the sort of inconsistencies and, as you said, the patchy form. But the facts are, you know, we are currently sat second in the table. So do, do you think that someone like, as, as I've sort of said there, Allegri or Conte would be mounting more of a title charge with this side? Um, I'd probably say at least in the microcosm of this season, no. Mm. Looking for, looking for, cause, but even then, like we went on an unexpected run. The points total for become, being close to the top is a lot lower than it has been yeah. in the previous two. You could argue that it's reverted back to normal and the Liverpool and City seasons were the anomalous ones and we shouldn't base our expectations on them. But at least with the way City are playing now, I think it's fair to base that back. Like You'll need like 90, 95 points. Maybe not this season, but the following season to win the title. Mm. And I just, I doubt whether that's possible under Solskjaer. It's, would, so this season, I don't think an Allegri or Conte would do better if we're talking purely about results yeah but i'd feel more optimistic going into the future season right yeah okay that's that that's what clears it up that's that's fair enough i think um you know as i always say you know points are only relative in, in the season in which you get them but um but that's a fair point if you're talking about yeah then then going forward sort of progressing as a sort of side. So those are a few questions with regards to United. We've now got a few more sort of general questions about analysis and, and sort of European football in a more general sense. Um, Ismail Zane asks, uh, how did you initially get into football analysis and what would you advise people to do if they want to get into sort of something similar to, to, to that? I think a lot of it's probably just like predisposition and what you're naturally interested in. Mm. It's difficult to explain why I just found a liking for it, essentially, but for tips on getting into it, I'd, I'd, I'd advise actively watching football. So if you want to learn more about it, just actually think about why things are happening. Don't just sit back and watch the game, follow the ball. Look at what's happening around the ball, look at what's happening in the game, and just ask why are players making certain movements. Obviously, you need to be careful not to overanalyze in those situations, though. So you probably need to split into like approximate factors. So you have like just like someone scores a long shot, that's proximate factor. You probably don't put too much analysis into that. But you look at the underlying structure of what allowed that long shot opportunity to occur, potentially. So like I'll take a recent example. So um Lazio's first goal against Atalanta, you had uh Josie Reyna was able to find space about twenty yards away from his goal, which allowed him to kick the ball up probably about the edge of their box and then Lazio were able to win the second ball subsequent to that because they had obviously prepared around it and then the long shot went in after the counter press mm. so you probably if you're looking to get into analysis I'd focus less on the long shot itself in that instance and more on why does Reyna have the space and you'd probably at least I came to the conclusion it's because of the way Atlanta press in that they're man oriented so there's a systemic failure there and that they don't cover the goalkeeper as an active actor. So then you need to kind of consider factors like that rather than the more obvious events, possibly. Mm. Think that's, about why things are happening. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, really. I think, you know, a lot of people, including myself, you know, you can get caught up in just sort of watching it, in, as in, you know, in a basic football fan sense, as you say, following the ball, etc., and not sort of thinking about things like that. So I, I find that sort of really interesting. Um and lead, sort of leading into that, no, go on. Were you going to say something? I was going to say I don't want to denigrate what I watch football. I watch a lot of Man United games, especially like that, because I'm still a Man United fan. Yeah. So yeah, the benefit and what what I'd say is I like if I'm analysing a match, I like to watch it firstly just passively. I'll watch it as it's going on, and mm. then if I plan, I'll do a rewatch where I'm, I watch it more actively. So I think the emotional part of football is well, it depends on who you are, but. At least when I'm watching United, it's still an important part of what I want to do. When watching Serie A games, it's a bit different because I'm more detached from it, so I can probably focus more 
when watching it live. But yeah, I'm still caught up in my United when I watch the my United games. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I think as everyone listening sort of is, you do, you're not sort of watching with an with a sort of analytical sort of observation. You, it's it is definitely more emotional, sort of fan driven um, watching of games. Um, and, and and going into sort of that, Ollie asks a, a great question, and, and one that I often sort of wonder when it comes to sort of um, football and sort of tactical analysis. He asks, could you explain the process that you go through to analyze matches? and write about your findings. And obviously you've touched on a couple of things there, but I think he's asking for a more sort of sort of the, the process you go through specifically when you sort of watch games back. Well, yeah, it's I look to find almost a theme of a match within the first 10 minutes because I'm not actually... Well, I don't mind match analysis, but I prefer focusing on bigger concepts. So a lot of that is just you're watching a match, you see something happen... Because I'll take my most recent article. It's mm. essentially about going backwards to go forward. So I, I was just watching Lazio and noticed they had a tendency to pass the ball backwards rather than trying to sustain pressure. So I just thought, what, why do that, essentially? And it's I came, well, it's coming to the conclusion that it's to introduce more depth. So if you watch a team that has like a really particular style of play or something, it's, you just need. It comes back to just wondering why they do something. Is I'd say that's just the most important question. If you're planning on writing something, I'd say work out what's happening. So you just describe the observations. You try and work out why it's happening, like just the rationale, and then I guess how it's implemented would be the three-step process. It's quite abstract. It's quite. It's difficult because it changes every. On, on context but that would be like my abstract approach mm. it's sort of it's quite an academic i'd say sort of a- approach to the game and that you sort of as you say there's sort of this idea of cause and effect and really thinking specifically about sort of there's a psychological element i assume as well with sort of players making decisions but mainly sort of tactical with regards to sort of system as you as we've sort of spoken about a lot and sort of managerial decisions i'm just wondering what you think of the approach by sort of English pundits to, to the game, which I think, you know, I didn't have this sort of written down, but I was just sort of thinking about it the way you were talking there. It's something that is never really touched on, at least in sort of mainstream um, analysis. And, you know, something that, that people have been very critical of is the way sort of, for example, I don't know, earmark Roy Keane, but he, Roy <laughs> Keane's analysis of games, which is very driven by sort of this idea of desire, passion and sort of, you know, mental attributes in a sense. Do you think the mainstream sort of UK um, sort of pundits should focus more on tactical analysis? Do you think that's something they don't do enough? Um, I think they're limited in time quite a lot. Because if you think at half time or whatever, you really do have a very limited time. And most of the time spent almost on like refereeing decisions and things like that. Mm. So, yeah, I'd say you probably need to change focus away. I don't mind people like Roy Keane or Graham Sooness because they do provide at least something unique. Like, they do have insight. I wouldn't completely denigrate them and say yeah. they're worthless. Because they obviously came from older eras with different attitudes. But they are quite useful to listen to. I wouldn't completely brush them aside. Mm. But maybe I'd find a greater balance, yeah. Yeah. In uh, focusing... Because someone like Jamie Carragher, I really like him. I think he's quite... A, he's a really good analyst, mm. essentially. So it's... I wouldn't say it's completely away from the mainstream, but he needs to have like that hour on Monday night football to actually dissect what's ha- what's happened over the previous weekend. So like something like tactical analysis probably takes more time to do. Like take because you need to be able to like articulate yourself, explain it, show your observations, suggest like observation, then suggest why that's good or bad, and then you're probably gonna have like an argument back and forth with someone else who disagrees, and that's all quite time consuming. Yeah, I think I think the sort of the time argument is is a is a good one really because I think yeah, as you say, you know they they focus a lot on refereeing decisions and sort of big sort of moments and flash sort of points that it that it does limit them and obviously they don't have the time then to to go deeper. So I think yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good point that I didn't really considered, but it's obviously yeah, com- completely true. Um, got just a couple more questions. Got one from the the ever esteemed United Arena who asks, uh, what are some Italian football cultural aspects for people to know? He says, for example, there was a time in the sort of mid eighties. To, uh, to the 80s rather to the mid 2000s when sort of homegrown talent was key defence proceeded 
offense. <laughs> sort of the American to put it American offense. Mm. I don't I don't know like using that, but there you go. Um packing the midfield is paramount and more. He asks, what are some of the more sort of cultural aspects now in Syria? Has it changed? Has it progressed? Or is it sort of still that sort of traditional old fashioned Italian style that people sort of think of? Well, I'm going to say something that's at least unsubstantiated right now. Mm. But I'm going to say that Serie A maybe has the most domestic managers. I know it did a couple of seasons ago where 19 of the 20 managers were Italian. Mm. I think that's changed now because you have people like Paolo Fonseca. But I'd say because they all go to like the same coaching school and stuff, a culture does develop to an extent. There's definitely a greater emphasis on wanting control, which probably manifests itself in greater organisation and therefore a less chaotic game state, which is perhaps why there's this perception of reduced intensity, at least mm. in relative terms. Because I, I probably agree with people that <clears throat> Serie A is less intense than, say, the Premier League. I just yeah. don't I don't apply a value judgment to that. I'd say it's a different style rather than an inferior, superior style. So as I was mentioning earlier with like Josie Arena, I'd say, I'd say like a manifestation of that is the goalkeeper getting a lot more time in possession. Mm and there being a greater propensity to use the goalkeeper in build-up. So it kind of, it's like, that's a good way to establish control because you're able to get the numerical superiority. So there's maybe some things like being good on the ball as a goalkeeper is emphasised to a greater extent because only really Ederson and Allison you would think of in the Premier League are frequently involved in their team's possession. Hmm. Whereas in Serie A, you'll see moments all the time where the goalkeeper is just standing there with the ball. Because pressing schemes are a lot more organised and focused on getting the team to go long rather than forcing a turnover. Like forcing a high turnover is only really something that happens in a counter press. It's not something that happens frequently from just like stable controlled possession. So it's they place more emphasis, I'd say, on creating the opportune moment for verticality, mm. which is quite ambiguous. But they don't want to go long needlessly. So there's a lot of defensive possession. Again, statistically, I'd imagine the most Serie A has the highest number of short goal kicks, things like that. Mm. So they don't have. There isn't this emphasis to like sustain pressure when the position to keep the balls poor or anything like that. It's acceptable to go backwards, and I think that's maybe linked to the want to construct predictable moments to trigger like automatisms. Like when you hear Eden Hazard talk about Conte at Chelsea. Hmm. It's the one word he used to describe them is automatisms. And I'd say that's something that's it's not unique to Italy, but it's at least a lot more common in Italy. It's I, I don't want to waffle here. I could go in more depth if you want, but if you want to cut off there. <laughs> no, no, it's up to you, mate, whether, whether you like. I was just going to quickly ask, you know, is there any managers that in Syria that you think are sort of going against the grain and going against this sort of this, um, I don't know, yeah, it is a sort of a stereotype stereotyped um, view of sort of the Italian more sort of very sort of systemic in their sort of thinking and very sort of rigid I think is the word that a lot of people would use with regards to you know Italians and uh, and the sort of management style is there any managers that you think are more progressive and sort of going against the grain in Syria? Well I guess you have like Giampiero Gasparini at, at Atlanta yeah. but even then it's quite a rigid pressing structure in that it's man oriented so, but I'd say in possession is where their, well, the freedom kind of expresses themselves because, like, a back three against something that's quite typically Italian, is something that's associated with being quite defensive at least here in the UK. Mm. But I would say the way they use their centre backs is really quite unique in that it enables them to kind of access the half spaces with greater frequently, and they use that to link up with the. Um, wing back and then the forward drifts wide and the attacking midfielder so they really put a lot of emphasis on overloading wide areas and the center is completely vacated which is so like the idea of let's just say like an overlapping center back isn't really a new idea in italy whereas yeah. like at sheffield united it was quite lauded as revolutionary <laughs> it's quite common but atalanta do that to like a very significant degree and they have like no central presence because well, the, the centre midfielders are the ones that tuck into cover for the centre-backs going forward. So it's a unique style of play. I'd still say it's a, a quite Italian stereotypically. It's just they're more inclined to take risks. So I'd say a team that's less Italian, at least if we're working off stereotypes, is probably 
Sassuolo and the Roberto De Zerbi, they are more of like a positional play-based team. Mm. Same with something like Pirlo's Juventus. Yeah. But even then, you can tell the influence that the culture's kind of had on them. Sassuolo, to a lesser extent, I'd say Sassuolo wouldn't look out of place in any league. And they're a great team. I'd recommend anyone watch them if they get the time. But I'd say the way they play is just more... It's a different sort of positional play because of the emphasis placed on how wide the wingers are, but then that inversion when the fullbacks who were previously narrow go wide. But yeah, they're probably the least Italian team in Serie A. Fair enough. It's interesting. I mean, you know, I find it so interesting talking about, you know, I, I you know, I'd, I'd like to say I don't really watch enough sort of European football, especially, you know, the Serie A, which is a league I have a sort of massive respect for and the league I've always been interested in. It's just interesting to hear about these these managers and styles and things that I've never really explored. So, so thank you for the insight. It's, it's extremely interesting. We've just got one last question from Jamie Scott, um, who asks... Um, Quite a personal question, but uh, we'll see, see how you answer it. He asks, uh, what, what are your sort of personal aspirations going forward, both, both personally and in terms of sort of your work around football? Um, I would like to get my badges at some stage. It has been something I've wanted to do. Mm. I'm yet to get around to. But it's always difficult to talk about aspirations. I can say, currently, I'm nowhere near any role in football. I can, I can say that with the safety. Mm. Is it? I'd say it's an ambition, yeah. Whether it's something that's achievable is a completely different question and something I probably don't know enough about at this stage to answer. So it's something I'd like to do. Whether I'm capable or not is entirely different and I probably can't answer that myself. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I mean, with the analysis we've heard today, I'm sure it wouldn't be a surprise, you know, with, with you getting involved with anything around sort of professional club, you know. I've seen stories in the past, you know, there's people who've, who've been given sort of, I think, remote jobs, haven't they, sort of, analysing for sort of professional top clubs. You know, I think Scottish clubs, I think, for example, you know, have been known to sort of hire analysts on a remote basis, which is, you know, extremely interesting. I think quite exciting for people going forward. So I'm I'm sure it wouldn't be a surprise if we see you involved with some of that going forward. Jack, it's been an absolute pleasure to to have you on. We've extremely sort of insightful. It's it's a bit of a different podcast for us today, to be honest, in the sort of the focus of things. I think we talk a lot about... um, sort of the face value of things if you like sort of tra- transfers and personnel and social in more general but it's nice to go in depth about this and t- talk a bit more tactics it's, it's been a pleasure to have you on um i was going to ask if you want, had any sort of last words uh for the listeners where we can sort of find your work etc um well most of my in-depth work i'll probably do on breaking the lines mm. um i think i've done 22 articles there so if you just search mazality on the website you'll find every article i've done and otherwise yeah just that on twitter as well but yeah thanks for having me fantastic jack thank you for coming on mate all right thank you